We are Anthony and Danielle. We own a pet food store in Columbus, Ohio called Fangs and Fur that is focused on educating pet owners on feeding food nature intended for our pets. You can find us on Instagram at Fangs and Fur Pets or Facebook at Fangs and Fur. If you want to send in a question for Anthony to answer at the end of each episode, message us through our website at fangsfur.com. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and leave a review. This is the Fangs and Fur Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you are in the world, we want to welcome you to another uh, edition of the Gussie's Gut show. And I want to bring on my partner here, Dr. Ian Billinghurst. Good morning, uh, Rob. Good morning, everybody. Great to be here. Good morning. So today, we have a really cool and very different show. We've not ever uh, interviewed somebody who actually has a, we'll call it a pet store. Um, I like to call them pet boutiques. Other people call them, you know, their pet education centers. You got all kinds of names for them. But it's a retail store where you can buy frozen, fresh, you know, pet food, raw food, and it's in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, so let's, why don't we get right into it? Because I, I could introduce this all day long, but why don't we get right into it? And I want to talk about and inspire others who are looking to open up a pet store, uh, what that means and where and what they can aspire to, because I really like what these guys are doing, okay? Great, let's bring on, oh, here we go, let's bring on Anthony with Fangs and Fur. Hi there. Hey, Rob. Hey, Anthony. And Dr. also Bonner's we want to bring on, we want to welcome Lauren. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hey guys, so uh, let's just throw up your your website real quick and your uh, your handle. So, why are we talking today? Well, I thought it'd be really super cool to share with the audience what they can expect from a really great pet store in their neighborhood, and also for people aspiring. We have a lot of people that uh, want to open up pet businesses what that means and I think what the future looks like. When you have all these businesses like ours, Gussie's Gut is a direct-to-consumer business, and we, you know, we love supporting pet stores, but we, because of our business model, we've chosen to go direct-to-consumer. But I believe that these pet stores and communities are really super important. And so I want to get into a little bit with you on what you do for your community, your pet, you know, the, your pet pe parent community, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we're also going to let you ask us some questions because we're doing kind of a, a joint podcast where you're going to be also airing this on your podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks, Rob. Um, I'm really excited to be doing this with the both of you. Um, we, when we had talked, uh, well, actually a few days ago now, um, we were kind of talking about what, what my, I guess my vision was for, um, um, what I was, I was, I was hoping retailer stores would kind of turn into in the future as far as you know, pet retail. Um, and it's, it's kind of what this is my, this shop things and fur is to me, the future of what, you know, what pet retailers, um, will be. Um, and again, you guys can probably hear the freezers. We have these headphones on cause we have, you know, seven, uh, almost eight double door freezers now. Um, so our big thing is, you know, we consider ourselves more educators than anything. Um, 
you know, we, we want people to come in, like we were talking about, we want people to come in and ask lots of questions. Um, and you know, that's, that's kind of how we, we see, we see ourselves as very passionate, very knowledgeable, you know, just well-trained, um, I guess, employees of, of the shop. You know, I, I had this, when I was, um, before I opened this, this store, I had this fear of walking into pet stores and just seeing aisles and upon aisles of, of dry processed, ultra processed food. Um, and I wanted to have a, uh, build a place that was much more welcoming, um, with way better options, um, for pets. Um, a place that really kind of was supporting that ancestral living, kind of going back to their roots. I had a really interesting conversation with, um, with Julian Lee from Adored Beast uh, a few days ago, um, you know, just talking about how we kind of need to go back and, and kind of focus on how, you know, where and where our cats and dogs came from and focus on that and kind of ancestral living. Um, well, we would, yeah. we would know nothing about that, right? No, Dr. B? I don't think so. <laughs> Actually, I'm sitting here thinking this is back to the future because in Australia, when I was a young veterinarian, a pet shop was basically selling a heap of raw food. There was a big uh, counter, and behind the counter was a glass. There, there were trays. This one said buffalo, this one said beef, this one said kangaroo, this one said lamb. In fact, most of them were either kangaroo or buffalo, and they were just given different names, depending on what they could get in at the time. And, of course, they were all preserved, but um, with something, because they would come out every day and then they go back inside for the night and so on. So that was the state of, of raw feeding back then. And, of course, I'd have customers who came in and say, yes, well, I, my dog loves a kangaroo, hates the beef. And, of course, it was the same thing. But anyway, that's kind of by the by. Well, kind if of I walk into a chain of stores now it's what you just described it's this absolute smorgasbord of dry food wall to wall aisle to aisle that's that's what keeps their business going and in a small freezer there is a some frozen product including the one that i produce so yeah i looking at what you're doing yes we need this in every town every city it should be on a local basis where you source locally or whatever or wherever you can, but available for pet owners so that they can go in and buy real food for their, their cats and dogs. So, look, I congratulate you on what you're doing. Absolutely fabulous. Yeah, and we'll, we'll also that. just say, I'll just interject that we'll say that you're actually in, literally in your store. So there's going to be plenty of customers that come yeah. in, dogs and all kinds of sounds. So this is kind of fun. Yeah, we thought it might be interesting. It, it seems to be that way. Hey, we're all done. Great. Yeah. So why don't we get right into what you think, what is the future? Where are you taking your business? What is the future of these pet boutiques or these stores? I mean, what what, what do we want to call uh, your store? I kind of look at the shop as a, a health and wellness store for dogs and cats ah. is what I, is how I, um, I guess, envision it in my head. Um, but again, I, I think it's, it's, um, kind of the future is, is the future is fresh, you know, it's less processed food and it's, it's more whole foods. Um, or as you know, we like to say species appropriate foods. Um, so it's, it's like you said, it's education centers. 
Um, and it's, it's, I like this shop, especially because I know all my customers, I know them very well. I know their dogs very well. We have, you know, we take every dog and every cat, um, you know, we look at them as an individual. And the other cool thing is I can partner with other local people to get really local, you know, ingredients. I mean, my, you know, Lauren Beck's, you know, supplying us, supplying us with all the body parts, um, all those raw meaty bones that Dr. Billinghurst loves so much, you know, that she supplies them for me and we get them right here in Ohio. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's great. Well, and Lauren, let's, let's bring it over to you. Cause I know for, I know you really well. Cause I see you posting yeah. about us all the time. And I, love I, so, I so appreciate that you're, educational contents, just excellent. So tell us what your involvement is and let's talk about what yeah, you do. Yeah, I actually have a, a lot to say on this because I work directly with customers. Everyone asks me like, oh, do you sell raw food? I don't. I like to stick with what I do and do it really well and then educate on the other stuff. I don't know anything about fermenting. So that's where I loved finding something like Gussie's Gut, where I can trust that product, trust that company. And now I feel comfortable recommending that as a fermented greens um, product to my customers, to my friends, to my family, and feeding it to my own pets. So then finding someone like Anthony, I regret that I don't have an Anthony in every city for every customer that I have. Because when they come to me asking for advice, it's so hard for me to look at a dog and sit and have that detailed conversation about what that dog needs. Do they need um, an actual protocol? Do we need to start with goat milk, then a kefir, then something else, then slowly introduce? It's hard to look at price point and, and that customer's budget and go through what foods and what products are going to be best to create, you know, longevity actually in raw feeding or in, in fresh foods for that customer. So having somebody that I trust that I can say, um, I could talk to you about this for six hours, but why don't you take one day, go see Anthony at Fangs and Fur, um, and they're going to really help you out. They're going to be able to figure out what works with your budget and what's going to work best for your dog or cat. That's incredible. Um, and I'm lucky to have a handful of stores like this around the country that I can send people to, but it's it's rare to find somebody that actually like sticks with the mission and, and has the gumption to just kind of fight the urge to bring in all the kibble and stuff like that. Because I have a hard time selling my product to a store that also carries Purina and Alpo and Milk Bones because, you know, it, it takes a little bit of explanation to sell a hairy, crusty beef ear. Um, it's kind of gross <laughs> what I do, but, um, not to the when you have that conversation with people, it, it's, it's, you see kind of a light turn on in people's eyes. Dogs can eat bones, dehydrated bones. You know, I, I always tell people too, there's nothing like a raw bone. Dehydrate is not ever going to replace a raw bone. And I'll, I'll tell them that. Um, but it's something that gets that going for people and it gets them thinking. So I love um, wholesale is the, the biggest part of my business because I love sending people then to these stores um, where they can go to buy their treats and have that conversation about food. And so maybe next time they go home with a freeze-dried raw, maybe next time they go home with some Gussie's gut, then next thing you know it, they're full-blown raw-fed, feeding their dog whole rabbits in the backyard. But, you know, it's something just to get that spark um, going in people. And it's something that I really love. There's nothing quite like that face-to-face -face interaction, whether it's a farmer's market or or a, a storefront like Fangs and Firm. Yeah, I think Lauren and I could talk to customers about feeding fresh food or feeding raw food. I mean, this is 
I chose to do this for a living for a reason because I love it. And she does too. We could talk about it all day. So it was actually working in a pet store, like I said, um, when I was in college that got me started in this because I was able to, you know, kind of change pets' lives and influence, you know, these owners thinking just by recommending a different food or saying, hey, uh, have you thought about the fact that your dog has chronic yeast and that washing their ears isn't going to solve it? And this was right when like Primal and a couple of those brands were just starting to hit the market, uh, but it hadn't quite stuck yet. Um, and so now that we have Steve's and Northwest and all of that, um, it's it's really cool and answers. It's really cool to have those constant conversations with people because the industry is changing. It's, people are opening up to it. Lots sure. of good options there. Mm-hmm. So. That's great. So what do you find that is for the, the new customer that comes in, what is the biggest question in their head or their biggest um, source of anxiety or, or you know, uh, uh, hesitation? Um, a lot of people just don't know how. They are overcomplicating it. Um, Dr. Billinghurst said this in a recent uh, interview, you know, wolves don't have spreadsheets. Um, and I, it's very true. People like, I think a lot of people get so, uh, caught up on, you know, is it complete imbalanced and, and is it, is it missing anything? And, um, you know, obviously these, the diets that we sell, um, you know, yes, they are at, you know, they are completely balanced by Africa standards and NRC and all that. But, um, the, the other big thing is, you know, is it, is it pathogenic? You know, does it have E. coli, Listeria, um, Salmonella, you know, that, that is a big concern. We have a lot of vets in this area that, you know, are very, uh, opposed to, to feeding fresh food, which never in a million years. I mean, I, I think about this probably way more than I should, but I never thought that promoting real fresh food would be so controversial, but here we are. Um, but I think that's a big one. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to the conversation how with Julie and Lee and, um, actually, um, something that Dr. Uh, Billinghurst had said um, about bacteria and something that I think about a lot. Um, you said in a, another podcast, you, you said something about the immune system is not designed to fight bacteria, but to find a way to live and live in the environment in harmony. Yeah. 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 That's, we, that's what it's all about. And it's, it's, uh, it's really well said. It's a beautiful statement because, you know, all, we have these pathogenic bacteria in us. And, and I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here people are so terrified of bacteria. Um, but we have to understand, like, we are bacteria and we need, we need, um, there's really no, I mean, yes, there is pathogenic bacteria, but we also need those bacteria, right, to live in balance and to be in a homeostasis. Um, and so, but it, that's a whole, it's a whole mind switch for a lot of people. That's what I was going to say. I, I think the biggest thing is relearning the things that they've been hearing and been taught their whole life. For me, chicken bones is a big one. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, the bacteria and you know, just reteaching people the fact that um, there's ways to do it other than sterile kibble, you know? Yeah. It's a there's hard barrier things, to break with people. Three things that people worry about. All, all start with B, bugs, bones, and balance. Yes. Yeah. And every one of those things sits there as a huge impediment in their minds. And in Australia... Um, we didn't used to worry too much about that, but we are gradually learning to worry about these things. We're being taught by the pet food companies who teach our vets to worry about them, and then the vets teach us to worry about them. 
but it, it actually stems from the pet food companies because they need to sell something that they claim to be complete and balanced, um, something that's got no bugs in it, and uh, something that ha doesn't have the danger of bones. And all of that is, is, their, is their selling point. And so that's what they, is happening to vets. If you look on, I looked on Hill's, it was Hill's website recently, and it, under the list of dangerous foods was raw food. So that was up there with chocolate, um, raisins, sultanas, grapes, all that, um, yeah. onions. Up to, sitting up there in exactly the same spot was raw food. I mean, that tells you something about the mindset of people who sell these products, which I call now... Um, well, they're politically correct foods, so I'm heavily into acronyms. And see, PC all stands for, also stands for poisoned chalice. Mm -hmm. And yeah. these foods are a poisoned chalice. And we have a, a terrible situation where our the most important person in most people's minds as far as their dog's health is concerned is the vet. Mm -hmm. You know, way back I said to people, no, it's usually the butcher and the greengrocer. They're the health food stores. Yeah. So real foods, real whole raw foods. And, and the simplest way often to get past people's worries about all of this, particularly with balance, just point out to them, do you worry about having a spreadsheet and a computer to work out the foods for your kids or yourselves? Of course yeah. you don't. Yeah. Nature doesn't work that way. And, and so that gets people thinking as well. Yeah. You know, I was one of the wise decisions I made early on 24 years ago when I got my first dog as an adult was um, hiring this guy. Am I pointing at him? It's right, right? Oh, um, I think the other way. <laughs> oh, other way. I don't, I don't so, know. <laughs> anyway, um, so I you know, reached out to him and, and we did phone consults. And one of the big gifts that he gave me was balance over time. And it's, you'll achieve perfection or balance over time. And that's exactly how they've eaten for, you know, they, they used to eat for millions of years. That's how wolves eat. They sometimes get a lot of bone one day, a lot of organ another day, a lot of meat and fur another day, some days, no food. And, um, so it really helped me because I probably, you know, I remember, I, I vividly remember being super worried about um, calcium phosphorus balance. Yep. I remember vividly, like, oh, I heard, I think I read something or heard something about it at, like one time and I was like, oh my God, you yeah, know. It was ratios, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I <laughs> yeah. got really freaked out. And then I went back to Ian, Dr. Billinghurst, and he said, look, this is not a big deal. You know, some days are going to be imbalanced. And so give you an example today, um, Gus, I think, has a little bit of a short. He, he's a jumper. And so he, he fetches and jumps. He's got a little shoulder injury. He's going to go to the chiropractor today. But uh, all I have on hand is a brick of grass-fed beef. That's it, a brick. I don't have a lot of supplements um, in my – I don't have, like, calcium and all that other stuff in my pantry. So he just got beef. No organs are in my uh, refrigerator today. And I made some extra 
uh, curcumin for his inflammation with some pepper. I boiled it, threw it in there, mixed it up, kind of quasi-cooked the, the beef, and, uh, and then threw in some Gussie's gut and some uh, extra veggie, veggies, and that's it. Um, that is certainly not balanced. If you look at this term, you know, balanced, whatever that is. And, you know, in America, uh, it's what AFCO says it is. Yeah. Um, so that's the definition, but that's, but that's how dogs are eating. At least, I mean, even down in Australia up until what Dr. Billinghurst, the seventies or eighties, I mean, they were just eating scraps, right. And then there's no, I don't want to say there's no ailments or disease, but there's a lot less then than there are now, especially say, here for me by city people. My dogs once ate off of a dead deer for like a week before I found it. Yeah. This actually stems wow. from a commercial necessity. If you're selling a product, it has to be so-called, it has to be legally complete and balanced. Now, that's yeah. got nothing to do with the biological situation. Yeah. But everybody's taken this legal necessity of a commercial food and run with it to the point, and, and vets now believe this too, that unless every meal is complete and balanced, your dog is going to suffer from some catastrophic um, nutritional problem. Of course he's not. and never has been that way and never will be that way. What? But the other thing to remember too is that when you take food that is absolutely wrong for the dog, which is all that products that go into processed pet food based on grain, based on carbohydrates, and then cook it, all together and then throw in what you think is, is the right balance of um, minerals and whatever. The body is not designed to deal with that food. It's not designed. The homeostatic mechanisms that deal with food that have been honed to whatever they are now, I'm not going to say perfection because nothing is perfect, yeah. just in a continual state of change. But those, those homeostatic mechanisms are designed by a long process to work with real whole foods. They're not designed to work with this synthetic, artificial, poison chalice stuff that we all choose to feed them. And that is why things go wrong. But when, and, and the, the body can take, if it's got a little bit of calcium there, it will take all that it needs. If, it's, if there's a lot there, it will still only take what it needs. And what you see, for example, is in the poop in the backyard, it turns white in the sun. I call them skeleton poops. Yeah. But, yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like people say, oh, I fed too much bone. No, you haven't. I get, yeah, I get that a lot poop. with people with fur, yeah. too, because they see the spooky poops. And I'm like, it's, it's okay. There's a, uh, the largest, the it largest, doesn't matter. The, the largest study done on the stomach contents of dogs was actually done down in Australia. I don't know. It, it, Dr. Connor Brady talked about this in his in his book. I think they studied like 13,000 feral dogs' stomach contents. 90, I think it was 98% was animal content. And the rest was just vegetation that they probably got from the, you know, the intestines of the, the prey animals. So to your point, you know, what they were designed to eat then, and even now, even in the modern, the modern dog, if you let him go to his own devices, look what happens. Okay, I was kind of rife to this. So I came directly out of working at a pet store and getting a pre-vet animal nutrition anatomy degree. And then I was working for a kibble company, which was a certain Canadian company that's been talked about recently. Um, and I definitely was pro-raw feeding, but like I said, it wasn't really a thing. Um, and then when I left that, I immediately went to DIY barf style raw. And I was so paranoid. 
I was like, well, I only did cod liver oil, but that has too much vitamin A. And then, well, I didn't get enough glucosamine. Am I getting enough vitamin D? You know what I mean? And I'm like, every single day I was just like stressed out. And then I was like, just chill out. It, it became too much for me. That's why I ended up kind of Jesus take the wheel and going back to, um, I found Steve's and I really like that, but I will not even feed anything that has synthetic nutrients because I just don't, you know, we know that the body doesn't absorb at the same. Um, and I think that that is a big contributing factor in why I will definitely never enter the food realm. I don't want to be pushed to add in all of that just to get the AFCO labels and stuff like that. I know a lot of people that were like, I had no choice. It was either not have a company or add a, a cocktail of synthetic chemicals. And I think that that's sad because it's just not so necessary. The other, way you, the other way you can go about it is you can actually do a feeding trial. And the feeding trials are so, are probably expensive, but they're so easy mm -hmm. to pass. Um, the big danger is if you decide to do more tests than they say you should do, because then they'll home in on those tests and say, well, look, for example, if you decide to do um, BUNs and creatinine, and the dogs will actually have a, a, a much higher BUN sure. when fed raw. And I'll yeah. say, okay, that, dis that discredits your um, food. But if you simply stick with what they ask you to stick with, and, and it only ends up with you could only, only needs to be six dogs that don't lose more than 20% of their weight and pass some very simple tests, you have a food. Now, these, these things are designed to pass the crappiest, if I can put it that way, politically correct food. They're designed to allow it to pass. So any, any properly constructed food program based on raw will pass this with flying colours. Mm. Actually, even if it wasn't in any sense of the word balance. So, and what, what their papers say, if you look carefully, if a food fails the chemical analysis test but passes the feeding test, it passes. Mm. So the feeding test trumps the chemical analysis. And so, which which makes a nonsense of the whole chemical analysis thing anyway. Sure. But what you, I think the most, one of the most important things I noticed early on, uh, Lauren, I think, you, or maybe it was Anthony, said that I love bones. Um, well, dogs love bones. <laughs> yeah. You have to good, ask good point. why. <laughs> now, people think of bones as a source of calcium, and that's what they think bones are. Nothing else, just calcium. No, 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 no. They also supply high-class protein, like a raw meaty bone we're talking about now with, with some cartilage and, um, uh, and meat attached. So they've got the, the, the high-quality protein, the balance of amino acids. They've got fatty acids. They've got fat, a great source of energy, and, and high-quality fat at that because it's raw and it's animal-based. That's what they're designed to use. There's the marrow. Oh, so in the fat, of course, the fat-soluble vitamins. Then there's the marrow, the blood-forming elements. Mm -hmm. Now, the calcium and phosphorus, of course, as hydroxyapatite, is in perfect balance, as we know. And it's in the form that young dogs require. Now, young dogs require high levels of, of bones in their diet because they're forming their own bones. Older dogs do not require as much. They don't require that same high level of calcium because... But it doesn't matter if you feed it. This is, the, this is the point. So to safeguard, sure, feed plenty of bones. And your dog will be happy because dogs love to eat bones. In fact, um, sometimes they're not happy because they've got to fight with somebody else for the bones. So that's a management problem when you're feeding them. Yeah. And it's often involves separation. But the important point is bones are 
pivotal to their health. And that's what I discovered early on. No matter what else people fed, if they fed plenty of raw meat and bones, their dogs were healthy. So that's that's the, one of the take-home points. Yeah. The other take-home point from that book was how simple it is if you feed food. You do not need to know nutrition. And one of the most biggest impediments to feeding raw is being a PhD in nutrition because all that nutritionism is absolutely blocks your mind from understanding the simplicity of feeding food in evolutionary balance. Not nutrients in evolutionary balance, food in evolutionary balance. And that way, the nutrients that the dog requires will be there. They'll be taken in in the way the dog needs to take them in. The other thing I want to say is perfection is impossible. You can get close to it, but you will never get there. And most certainly every meal does not need to be completely balanced, just the way you feed yourselves. Now, of course, some of us feed ourselves very badly. Um, and we've seen that with people who buy, um, say, or there have been some programs where people have just lived on fast food for a month. And, of course, they put on weight and start to develop sickness. But anyway, people who are healthy themselves... Uh, just feed a healthy diet. And we, we now have a pyramid. Actually, do I have it here? No, I don't. Or um, I think it might be up on, on, on Gussie's gut website. I'm not sure, Rob, whether we put that pyramid up. Anyway, oh, it's on that Instagram. On the Instagram. Yeah, yeah. there you go. It's all very simple. So the two things, raw meaty bones, the basis of the diet, and it's more than calcium, and the simplicity is important. Yeah. You don't have to understand nutrition. Just the foods that they should eat. In the mechanical process, like the mechanical benefits that come with bones to your teeth, you know, the endorphins released when chewing bones, things like that. Because that's, I essentially, yeah. I air dry body parts, chicken feet, necks, heads, things like that. But I also, then Anthony carries my knuckle bones, which is this oh, giant yeah. beef hip tendon or a hip socket bone usually. Um, and they got tendons yeah. sticking off of them, giant chunks of meat. You got that um, that cartilage pad on the the hip socket. Um, and he, I know, usually saw him to puppies and stuff a lot, but they're like dog crap. Should have gave one hours. Should have gave one to June before this uh, for this episode. A whole bunch. Of them. Um, yeah, I love we. Yeah, you know, I, we're we're talking, and I'm I I've, I don't know if you guys have seen this. There's a documentary called Kingdom of the White Wolves. It's by uh, Ronan Donovan. Anyways, this guy goes out in the Arctic and lives with the uh, white Arctic wolves for a whole summer. Um, it's like a, one of my dreams. But uh, anyways, he follows the the puppies. And these puppies go, I think about this probably way more than I should, but these puppies go days. They'll go days without eating. And then maybe in two or three days, they'll get like a, a scap. I, I don't even know. A minuscule size bone, you know what I mean? Or maybe a neck, a part of a neck bone or something like that. Because they're low on the totem pole. The, yeah, right? And so, but then they, then they might get a really, you know, two days past then they get a really nutritious meal. So it's, um, and then the amazing thing is these, these puppies grow up to be massive, arctic, beautiful wolves with lush coats and, and great bone structure and super strong. And here we are, you know, freaking out about like just the most minuscule things. And you're right. We don't even do this with our, with our kids. So, I mean, don't even get me started with, with, uh, the children nutrition in this country, but yeah. I a cupcake yesterday. <laughs> I spoke about that whole scenario in Give Your Dog a Bone and also Great Possible Bones, the importance of dogs just 
try to mimic, or when you grow your pups, try to mimic them or mimic what they do as per evolutionary norms. And one of that was the most, was I really realised that they were bottom of the, the heap. Once they, once they were weaned off mum, who used to vomit up food for them, they were bottom of the heap. They would get in there. What was left was a heap of bones for their own bones. Sometimes nothing, like you said. They would go without food. And, and we, so we don't have to be concerned about these things. And something else that Lauren said about the, um, the big bones, the hip bones. The, the, um, knuckle ball bone and, is what we call them. The, knuckle, the ball and socket joint where you've got this beautiful piece of round cartilage. That was the other thing that bones supply. The cartilage has two that we know of, at least two really important functions. One, of course, is to help supply the nutrients for the growing pup's own cartilage. The second one is that it's anti-angiogenic. Angiogenesis is the process by which a cancer will form its blood supply. And I, I realised early on that I would find out lots of reasons why bones were important over time. And of course, yeah. apart from, apart from uh, you know their physical attributes and their mental attributes, one of those or two of those was the uh, joint, and the other one was this anti-cancer effect. And it's one of the reasons why bone-eating dogs rarely develop cancer if they do. It's very late in life, and it's quite uh, often usually benign and fairly inoffensive, uh, and it's kept at bay in dogs who eat bones on a regular basis. So. Wow. That's so important. The cartilage has a vital role to play. And so, so something like chicken eggs, which are full of cartilage because they're from young animals, they are really good. And I know they've got some bad press recently, but we won't even go into that at the moment because we've been feeding chicken wings and necks to our dogs for ad infinitum, really, since, since the word, since I first started owning dogs. Yeah. And, of course, it, it's, it's what we see is beautiful health. Yeah. Well, then even... We just uh, interviewed uh, Joe over at Myos Pet, and that's a supplement made from fertilized chicken eggs, uh, yolks. And um, it's doing all these incredible things to help with um, sarcopenia and, you know, wasting of muscle and building muscle. It works both in humans and dogs. So, but again, that's derived from a whole food. And one little note on Bones and anti-cancer is, you know, the, the blood stem cells in marrow is incredible. So if you have a really sick dog, especially a dog with cancer, you know, a, a nice um, marrow um, or a marrow soup, but I prefer raw marrow, is really, really good and really helpful. And, it, of course, preventing cancer, giving them sure. bones like we're talking about is really important. That's really neat. Yeah, I never knew that. That's a cool one. I've been selling them for years and I... Know that. Add it to the, the list of <laughs> benefits. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I have senior dogs. So, yeah, people are always ask about bones. And I'm like, well, the biggest thing about chicken feet, and that's not necessarily is the bones, it's the joints in them. So, I feed my two senior dogs with bad hips and spondylosis and all sorts of stuff. Chicken feet or necks, something like that, frequently. I recommend duck heads um, and chicken heads for puppies because of that brain um, and the DHA and that. And I play a lot with, talk a lot about the, you know, principle of homeopathy with like feeds like, um, and kind of helping people figure out what to do with that, you know? So I think that that's a big aspect of it. And then again, bringing it back to retail, being able to have that conversation rather than someone shopping my website, I can't tell them, Hey, go to the chicken heads. You know what I mean? I can put a little blurb under there, but I can't recommend they read it. So that's why I love getting people into physical stores for them to have that conversation. 
why would I feed a knuckle bone? Why would I feed a duck head? Why would I feed a chicken neck? And then I get excited about talking about it. So it, it works really well. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> going, going into that Chinese medicine, like, like feed, uh, treat like with like, mm -hmm. you know, liver for liver, brain yeah. for brain. All so a lot of heart for heart. Yeah. The old yeah. DCM thing. Education. Yeah. This, this is the key, isn't it? Education. This yeah. is this is our pets, our vets are poorly educated. And mm -hmm. let me give you an example of like feeds like. If you're feeding, um, if you have a kidney problem, one of the problems is uh, anemia because there's no erythropoietin being produced by these failing kidneys. If you feed kidneys, then you're feeding an external source of erythropoietin, EPO. And so you've got it. You've, you've, that's one rationale for yeah. feeding, and, and there will be so much more. Uh, but, of course, yeah. not cooked, raw, because mm -hmm. it's in the raw state that those uh, important components become available. We also want to say that yeah. with brain or, you know, uh, tripe, you want to get the unbleached, you know. Uh, oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For and, sure. and full of organisms, Rob. Yeah. I mean, so it's got plenty of the green stuff and the, the contents. I eat raw yeah, liver really myself. Bad. It really smells bad. Yeah, oh, yeah the, tripe. The tripe. oh, yeah, the tripe that I get, uh, you know, super green, tons of grasses in it. It's crazy. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Get it from a small farm. So we let's switch over into some of the questions that you have for Dr. B and, and what, what, we, what we can um, – and I'm also Anthony. I'm also interested because we just um, I I just found out that you ordered some Gussie's gut. I would have sent you some. Yeah. Um, but tell me what your experience is also with uh, with your dogs. Well, they all love it. Um, so I have a puppy and then two older dogs. Um, so that's important. I put it on their food. Um, should should make a little video, but um, it smells really good, which is interesting to me because you know. Uh, you know, listening to Dr. Villiers talk about, you know, dogs eating, you know, feces and how that's okay. And how that product is kind of, it's kind of like getting that fermented processed, uh, you know, ingredients in there. Um, but, uh, so far so good. I've only been using it for about a week, a week and a half. Um, but yeah, yeah, they like it. So that's, that's the important thing. And then as far as gut health, I mean, I'm, I feel like I, a lot of times I try to do the opposite you know, people, a lot of like we were talking about before, a lot of people want to be sterile, like have sterile food, sterile, all this. And I'm, I'm on the other end of that spectrum trying to get as much bacteria. And people ask me about the knuckle bones or what do I do with it after they chew on it? I'm like, I just leave it outside and let all those microbes and stuff build on it and let the dogs just keep going at it. Um, I'm trying to build a, a super diverse gut, uh, you know, as much as possible. Um, and uh, so I'm always adding different strands, uh, you know, the Dord Beast probiotics, and I'm I've been loving the the Gussie's gut just to get that that fermentation in there. Um, so I'm trying to build a resilient dog, you know. And um, actually, yeah. uh, just listening to that, uh, Anthony, I'm thinking. Yesterday we were sitting watching a bit of Netflix as we do in the afternoon sometimes with a small bottle of red substance in a glass. <laughs> anyway. Um, the back door was open, and I said, Ross, my wife, Rosalind, I said, something really smells out there. We looked up, and it was our dog, Honey. She'd brought a, a bone she'd dug up, and it was on the 
just on the mat outside the door. And, oh, Oof. I had to get rid of it. The smell yeah. was appalling. Now, how do you get that into your dog if you're living in an apartment? Well, you don't. Mm. This, is where, this is where Gussie's gut comes in. Yes. Because you're going to produce something that smells okay. And, you know, and we came off the farm so that this was never a problem. The dogs could take bones away. They could bury them. They could do that. So on a farm, and they ate um, cattle droppings and sheep droppings and whatever, and um, all of that. But it's impossible in a in a confined space to have that situation. So this is where Gussie's gut really comes into its own. I, I just want to emphasise that because, what, as you say, um, well, was a, the Gussie's gut smells great. And, and so you're not going to put up with a nasty yeah. smell. Right. Not, not even tripe, yeah. which is a terrible smell. You yeah. don't want to bring into okay. a small apartment either. I was going to say, this- I'm not a pickle person. And like the first time I rehydrated, I was like, woof, that's pickle. <laughs> yeah, that's fermented, that's for sure. It was just amazing how potent it smelled. You know, it's because it's this scentless, beautiful little green powder, and then you add water to it, and it's alive. Or bone broth or something. And I thought that was so cool. Well, this is actually one of my this is one of my questions to you, Dr. Blainhurst, was, you know, knowing that our dogs are, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, they are scavenging carnivores. Um, you know, which means they ate rotten things. Um, so we kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but why, like, why is focusing on these rotten things in their diet uh, so important, especially for the modern dog? Well, even the raw fed dogs now, because of high pressure pasteurization, we can't be sure that they are getting on their food the um, daily, the, the microbes that normally would feed and maintain a healthy microbiome. So this this is the essential. This is one of the reasons I joined with when, when Rob told me what he was doing. I said that's brilliant. This is what is actually missing from the raw diet for many people, um, particularly where the food has been sterilised in some way, and it's even missing from people who, as we said, live in apartments and so on, who yeah. just their dog doesn't have access to sheep and cow manure, can't bury bones, it can't do any of those terrible things that we absolutely hate that the dog loves and so it replaces all of that and so it actually was kind of like the final um part of the jigsaw puzzle of the raw that i've been recommending for so long so i was that's why i'm not somebody who normally joins in with anybody particularly on anything commercial in fact i'm a very non-commercial animal but uh, i just Education has always been my thing, but now I'm very happy to educate about Gussie's gut as part, yeah. a very important part uh, of uh, the evolutionary program of nutrition. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I mean, because um, we have a lot of customers being in like you know central Columbus. You know, we a lot of people don't have yards, or if they do, they're very small yards. You know, so we you know we have chickens, we have. Uh, um, tons of animals going through bunny rabbits, all that stuff. And I, I watch dogs and, you know, I see them in the backyard and I know exactly what they're doing, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm like this, but I feel better after listening to, uh, you guys, your guys' uh, talks, but, um, so I just kind of let them do their thing. But, uh, that's, uh, that's where, yeah, I think that's awesome. So Gussie gut can actually kind of like replace that in a not so foul way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bringing the life back. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, putting yeah, some life yeah, back into With raw foods, most of them now are sterilized in some way. And I get it because they want to be able to exist in this current market. And the government and, and you know, FDA and everything doesn't like life. Um, so that's cool. Except the people like us. Yeah, I, I grew up in the country. Our dogs ate their own poop, goose poop, uh, each other's poop, dead things, live moles, things like that. So I kind of grew up on the other side of it. We were always kind of like, yeah, that's fine. They're being dogs. Did a deworming protocol every now and then, but, um, and now I sell whole prey quail and, and chunked out whole rabbit or whole rabbit grind and things like that. Quail eggs, like a dehydrated crushed quail egg is uh, one of our popular products. I have people asking me for, um, dried, like baby mice. Uh, and I'm like, I get it. Yeah. No, (laughs) I get it, but no, um, that's funny. Yeah. And so that's growing up in the country. Well, I kind of had that opposite thing. And so now coming back to it, I'm like, I have to tell people like dogs are, they're, they're resilient. Their guts are so short. They're designed to be able to just kick that stuff right out and they're acidic. And so that's kind of what I learned in school and then applied it to these conversations that I have now in raw nutrition, where people are just terrified of those big pathogenic bacteria. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, within reason, don't maybe feed your dog that's been on sterile food its whole life. Um, you know, a bone that's been sitting outside for a week. My dog, it, there's a bone in my garden right now that my dog's been working on for three days. I'm not too concerned about it. Um, but then you have to kind of wean people on because I do like a fermented kefir. I mostly do dried foods, but I have the fermented kefir. I do a raw goat milk, a raw golden milk, and then those raw bones. Um, and I ferment the crap out of that kefir. I'm like, it stinks. Um, but I'm trying to seed it as much as possible with that and then get as many, you know, I'll even pour that on top of my food and let it sit all day and kind of let it grow because I am with Anthony. I try a different probiotic every time we're doing different strains. I'll go to a different farm and get a different straight, um, kefir culture every time. And I'm trying to switch it up. There's a million, million, trillion, bajillion, uh, beneficial bacteria and they're not the same. They change, they mutate and they all do different things in the body. And I think that that's really, really important. I heard him talking about that um, this morning on Julian Lee. Um, thing diversity, diversity, but diversity, so important. Yeah, all the. I just say it's a terrible that our veterinary profession doesn't understand any of this. None of it. But they're not taught this. That the profession is actually damaging animals, and people like yourselves are healing animals. Yeah, it's. Uh, I got to be honest. It's what. It's the reason why I never went into vet school. I, that was my goal since I was a kid was to be a vet. And I worked with so many vets yeah. that I just was horrified. I was, I can't, I'm like, you guys are making animals more sick. And I don't want to say that. I've, I've also been lucky to be surrounded by amazing holistic veterinarians my whole, you know, most of my life. Um, like you, Dr. Brinkler, where, you know, I was like, all right, I have a foster dog with heartworm. What would you suggest? They said, go buy some fresh heart, chunk it out, feed a little bit every day. And I was lucky to have that. Um, that kind of influence now where I am. I, I think that the prescription diets and those, and some of those veterinary diets are, they're, they're really good for my business because they never work. And then the customers come in here and we get them on a whole food diet and they are amazed. And the cool thing is, is that not only does it change the dog's life, but the customer's life is also changed because they're like, wow, food can have this kind of impact. And I'm like, yeah, just eat whole fresh food and it, and, you know, cut out the processed crap. Um, so it's like, yeah, that back to the future, we've gotten so advanced with science and nutrition that we've failed and now we're going backwards. It's like, I just think it's ironic. Absolutely. Yes. 
That was. I, um, I, backwards. I think we're going. I want to see our profession Before somehow be changed, and the only way it can be changed is from people, all the customers. Actually, I, I used to say forgive them. Now I'm saying shame them. Shame your vet. Don't take the crap from your vet when he says I won't treat your animal if you if you feed raw. And you actually have to say, well, if it was Australia, say, mate. Because this is the way we might address the vet. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. You, I'm the first person to tell someone to fire their vet because I'm like, you should not go in there and be yeah. shamed for making a choice that's we've, making uh, healthy. We've had customers that got yeah, kicked out of clinics for feeding raw food. Um, right. and we need to shame our vets. They yeah. need to be shamed. The whole profession needs to be shamed. Um, yeah, and that's what I, you know, I, and it's, um, I have some, some, acquaintances that are younger and in vet school and they're already getting bombarded and inundated with that ultra processed food you know and it's like i I was kind of hoping the younger generation would um kind of wake up to that to that bs if you will um but i don't know it's hard i get it you know what i mean when everything around you is telling you that this is going to kill dogs you know and you have that responsibility to be um you know the advocate healing dogs but problem. also you got to stick with them because they're trained in nutrition by the pet food companies it's that simple they're impressionable they're young everything else is good so this training they assume is good and so they run with it and they are captured they actually their brain becomes hardwired to believe this for the majority of them for the rest of their lives because they're in that impressionable stage of their life mm-hmm. and they and, and they want to believe what they're told because they want to do what you said. They want animals to be well. So they assume and make that leap of faith in, in their training that this will this, that these foods are bad, bugs, bones, balance, and that the processed stuff produced by a scientist is good. Yeah. I do think it's funny. Sometimes the big arguments from vets are it's not balanced. Well... All of these foods here are, are clinically balanced. So got that one down. It's got pathogens. All of these are clinically tested. A lot of them are, you know, high pressure pasteurized. So or no. for or fermented. Yeah. Or fermented. fermented yeah. And that's another thing. In this country, if you look at okay. the if you look at the uh, FDA uh, reports for the last decade, ninety-eight percent of the recalls came from dry pet food. Um yes. and so a lot of people think that they're you know, if they feed raw food that they have to wash their hands. And yeah, of course. But when you're feeding kibble, you're not absolved from that either. Um, and in fact, maybe you should have more of a reason to wash your hands after feeding kibble. Um, and so I, I think there's, uh, yeah, a lot of misconceptions Well, And I think that that's why it's important for pet store, boutique, whatever clinic owners like Anthony and stores like his around the country to get educated like he has. Like what, what degree did you go for? Uh, the Cassie Institute is this, uh, yeah, nutrition certification. Because when you have people coming in, you want to be, you want to know what you're talking about. You want to be able to have those conversations, um, when they've been failed by everything else, because somebody has got to have that kind of knowledge and you're the one that's in their face with them talking about food. Yeah. And it, I think it's hard for people to talk to their vets. If you have someone in a, a white lab coat, that's telling you that you're killing your dog you you kind of get put in a corner and um you might lose some of your confidence to talk about that and to defend it um 
I, I hope that's, that's one of the big reasons why I, I get so, I get kind of get a fire under me about educating people because I know the more I educate them, the more, if they get pushback from a friend or from a, a veterinarian that just doesn't know enough about nutrition, they can speak to it, you know, and they can maybe change that person's mind, start them down a different road. So, yeah. Well, so, yeah. What we really need too is people like yourself to be really understanding of evolutionary nutrition, um, what it is that, that we are feeding foods, we're feeding foods which this animal is designed to eat, and in the balance, in the approximate balance that they would eat them in the wild. Or it's actually evolution, of course, didn't stop with the wolf. It continues to today. And in my lectures, I talk about all that. And we've just done a master class recently. We've explained all this that it's the evolution of the dog up until the present time. So, for example, if you compare the dog to the wolf, the dog is more of a scavenger, probably more coprophagic. So it's designed to eat more bones than the wolf, designed to eat a little bit more vegetable material. And the vegetable material actually becomes very important uh, when a dog has a degenerative disease, such as um, kidney failure or even cancer. So, but it's, it's an, knowing how then to tweak the evolutionary diet in different disease states. Most of the time you don't need to tweak it at all, it just works. But occasionally when you have a severe metabolic imbalance in a dog, and cancer is one example of a metabolic imbalance and kidney failure is another, then you do have to tweak the diet. And uh, th this is where people need to be educated. And uh, Rob has resurrected me for Gussie's gut, but it's also resurrected me to talk about these things as well. I'd kind of given up. I thought, oh, nobody's ever going to listen. I don't have a platform. But Rob has given me that. And uh, so together we're working not only educating about Gussie's gut, but in podcasts like these, educating a much wider audience about the whole issue of raw food and real food. Sometimes well, I sometimes I feel like you don't understand how big your book was. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of a lot of uh, you know people in my in my world that like um, you know that read that book. Everyone knows um, everyone knows your book. I have it right here. Well, I have one of them. There's a couple of them, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think you've made quite an impact already starting a long time ago, but it's great to, it's great to, um, uh, yeah, I never thought I'd get to uh, do a, a podcast with you. So oh, this is amazing. Still I think getting to things like social media now, cause I, you know, a lot of it is educating like my generation. Cause we're now the ones taking over the industry. I'm, you know, late twenties. Yes. Um, Instagram is, is really that? big for me. Awesome. Um, Instagram is really big because people listen. People spend hours doom scrolling. I don't market on my Instagram. You'll every now and then see me release a product, you know, post a product I'm really excited about. But I do, you know, the Instagram reels that are sassy, but they punch a point in um, that are maybe funny, but it's educating about something like that. And then I have ones where I'm, you know, talking about different books that they can have. I get a lot of response from that, that people are like, thank you for putting this onto my feed amongst all of the other crap that I watch on a daily basis, you know what I mean? And and I think that's what's really important is using these social media platforms to educate um, and partnering with brands like Gus's Gut and, and Fangs of Fur and all of that to kind of spread the wealth and, and spread our platform as well with, in, you know, interviews like this is going to be big. Yeah. It's an awesome movement to be a part of for sure. It's fun yeah. watching it. The fresh food well, movement. Well, I just got to learn more about social media. 
Yeah. I'm learning too. I'm terrible at it. It's the bane of my existence, but I also love it. Um, it's taking over my whole life. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> we are we are just at time. Um, so I'll, let's um, let's make sure we know where people can find you both. And um, how should we start? We'll start with your website. Um, so Anthony, your, your store's yeah. website is fangsfur.com. Right? Yep. Um, you can find our, we do a podcast. Uh, we try to do one weekly. We try to do a lot of interviews. Um, so we have Bex on, uh, quite a few episodes and Julian Lee and, um, some, some, we actually have some local vets who are big promoters of, of raw food. Actually, one actually gave me, uh, his, his double door freezer, um, which is awesome. Um, so there, so there is hope. Um, so yeah, the podcast and, um, yeah, the website, Instagram, uh, fangs, fangs and fur pets, I think is our our Instagram handle. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. There it is. Um, yeah, that's where you can find us and we're, we try to be as responsive as we can be. So. And then Lauren, yours is Girls Gone Raw Pet yeah. Health on Instagram. Girls Gone Raw Pet Health. My website is www.girlsgonerawpet.com. Throw the pet in there just for clarity. Um, and yeah, I, like I said, I like to use my platform to talk about brains like Gussie's gut. Um, I just kind of want to put a plug in there about, you know, the pet food industry and pet retail in general to me is just a chain of trust. Um, you can trust me that I know what I'm talking about with what I do. I trust that Anthony is going to portray it correctly to the customer and the customer then trusts him. I don't know anything about fermenting. So I trust Gussie's gut to create that well-balanced and, you know, product that I then give to my customers that trust me. It's all about trust and finding cool people and cool brands that can work together with integrity and morals backing it, I think is just so important. It's, it's an honor to be here. It's really easy to build a team behind your dog mm-hmm. with social media. Now you get it, you get the right, you know, holistic vet in your corner, or at least a vet that's promoting feeding real food. Um, you get a good dog trainer in your corner, you get someone who knows about nutrition in their corner and all of a sudden your dog is, is living their best life. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and if you're in Columbus, go to uh, fangs and fur, please <laughs> love to have you talk to you. The views and opinions on this podcast should not be used as an alternative to veterinary advice. We always encourage you to seek the professional advice of your vet. Before starting a raw diet, we encourage you to ask lots of questions, do your research, and speak with a qualified vet and or canine feline nutritionist.